Thank you for listening to Tex-Mex at the Northern Border. So after, you know, God, one of the lessons God you know, has been teaching me through this, I love Psalms 46.1, God is our refuge. Mm. You know, very present help, I mentioned, I think that earlier, very present help in trouble. And boy, I'll tell you, the Lord was, you know, He, he let me know numerous times through all these experiences and many, many more, you know, that he was there after becoming a pastor, a pastor two, two years in Indiana, three years actually, I'm sorry, three years in Indiana at a three church district. My wife and all, my wife and I got a call to go to Africa, mm. the same where she had grown up. You know, being a missionary kid, they call it a third culture kid, you know, there's yeah. a syndrome, if, if you've heard about that and we're... You know, you're kind of like army you brats. Like a, you They're like used a, to yeah. moving around a lot. Well, her, she looked like an American because she was born and left at two years of age, but she had the mindset of an African. Mm. And so what they do is they kind of have to create their own extra culture because they don't fit in over here. They don't fit in here. They don't feel comfortable anywhere but Africa, but yet yeah. they don't look African. So they create their own culture. Mm-hmm. And so many times I remember, you know, seeing Kim, you know, in front of the computer, looking up things of Africa, playing African songs, and looking at pictures, and tears would just be streaming down her cheeks. Just that longing, she wanted to yeah. go home. And she'd been, in, you know, in the States for a number of years, and so we actually got a call, you know, they needed a pastor and a, and a cook, you know, to come, and she was well, great at cooking, she loved to cook, and so we accepted the call, and I'll tell you what, it, to leave the little town of Holly, and to go to the continent of Africa. Go in a plane and go to the continent of Africa. I mean, this was something I would, I'm, I'm happy being in Holly. I'm that small town, you know, um, happy with a book in a corner, you know. Sort yeah, of, this uh, was a whole new awakening for oh, you. I'm telling you. And what, did y'all take your children with you too? We, yeah, we took yeah. our children with us. And what an experience uh, just to go, you know, and arrive in Africa. What year was this? This was in 1990. See, this would be 99, mm. 1999, so three years in Indiana up to then. And um, I started having a passion for youth. You know, I got asked to do a couple of youth camps while I was in Indiana, and God was knocking on my door saying, you know, even that youth wanting to be a counselor back in the day, well, I've got a different plan, but you're going to be doing counseling to the youth, and I want you to work with the youth. And I was pretty excited about that, and I felt that passion grow for the youth. So this was at an academy over there, an Adventist Academy that missionary kids, mostly missionary kids came from all over the world mm-hmm. that were serving, you know, sharing the gospel in many, every part of the world. I mean, it was 26, 28 different cultures of, of youth that were on this campus, about up to 100 kids every year, a great wow. size yeah. and, and a taste of heaven. It was the most amazing experience. So I remember waking up the first morning and opening my door and looking out and I'm seeing Africans, you know, in the distance, you can, you can see down the pathway and, and I'm like pinching myself. I can't believe I said it over and over. I can't believe I'm in Africa. <laughs> I, I was it. so excited. Yeah. And of course I'm a nature lover and I'm a snake lover. When I was young, I used to sit from five, six years of age every Friday night when Sabbath would begin, I'd open up my, uh, we had a special uh, nature book, a huge mm-hmm. book. And I'd open up and I'd come to this page of, of cobras. And, you know, they, they flare up, and I was always yeah. excited. I'd read all about the, you know, the cobra and look at that picture for a long time. 
And I was so excited. Yeah, they, have, they have snakes here. They actually had cobras there and everything. So I was pumped. I'll tell you what, you know, I taught, you know, PE as well. I uh, was director of intramural program and then a pastor was my first, you know, my biggest part of the job there, pastor on campus, you know, preaching every Sabbath and it was a trainee. So I was able to work with the youth. First thing I did, which was really important, was to form a 12 prayer warriors. Mm. You know, before really anything took off, you know, once the kids came to school, found six girls that had found out who were the spiritual ones that, you know, would really, you know, um, be the, the powerhouse spiritually mm-hmm. on campus, six guys. And, and uh, we made it kind of fun, you know, they'd sneak off after Friday night vespers and sneak out of the dorm and got permission from the deans, of course, and uh-huh. come to my house and we'd have prayer sessions. And I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit used them. So it was wonderful because I helped teach them how to teach. Mm. teach them how to preach yeah you know and they let out and did pretty much I, I usually preached most sabbaths um but we'd have special week of prayers and then you know help them learn how to preach and they would give the the uh, you know they taught the sabbath schools even tough subjects i'd teach them every friday at lunch at the you know around a big table mm-hmm. they'd write down their notes and they would teach it team teach it you know so it was a training grounds it was so so much uh, so, so much a joy and the effect of these 12 prayer warriors was really rather astounding. They started reaching out, you know, and they were praying with the other kids, and they were trying to lead other kids to Jesus and get other people to pray. They led out in prayer Sabbath afternoons. We'd go in town, we'd sing to, you know, the the uh, people in town. We go door to door, handing out tracts. And did your children and your wife go with you? Th- they did. Yeah. yeah, they'd often go uh, and participate as well. We have a, a full bus. You know, everybody was everybody was excited about you know sharing Jesus. Wow. Um, one instance, real quick, we were handing uh, amazing facts out at the entrance, and one guy was walking by, and most people would walk or ride him a tattoo, a bunch mm-hmm. of crowded people on a bus, and he was walking by, and one of the kids uh, handed him an amazing fact and started talking with him, and and he didn't know really much about. It. He believed in God and everything, but uh, had not really found any church or knew much about Christianity. And so they said, "Hey, there's an Adventist church up the road, African, you know, church." And so he went. And he gave his life to the Lord. They have all-day services. They love it. They can't get enough. You know, until just before the sun goes down, then they'll go home quickly because there are wild animals. Oh, there. yes, that'll come out We've at dark. We've got <laughs> leopards in the area, lions down the road, not real far. I mean, this is Africa. Tarantulas, you name it, just, you know, wonderful wildlife. So this man gave his life to the Lord, surrendered everything, and on the way home, he was hit by a matatu and killed. Oh. <sighs> So, you know, and then we, we share the testimony with the school and with others. I mean, it's so powerful. You know, there's, a, there's rejoicing more than the sorrow and sadness of him, you know, losing a life because the Matachi is very dangerous to be out anywhere on the roads mm-hmm. because they're, you know, so close and the roads often had drop-offs. And, and, but he lost his life, but yet he gained his eternity. Right. And he's just resting, waiting now. I mean, so it was astounding to have miracles like this happen. The first year, I think there were 20 of the youth that gave their lives over, surrendered to Jesus in baptism. We had a massive baptism. Next year, you know, 18 baptisms. The kids were just being on fire mm-hmm. and really, you know, lighting it up for Jesus. It was just the most, it was like what heaven would be like. It was, I knew that if any other pastors in our denomination, you know, were to get wind of what I was doing, they'd want to push me out and they'd want to take over my job mm-hmm. because it was just the greatest job in the world, mm. you know, to train these kids to become warriors for the Lord and to win other people. And see, that wouldn't have happened if it wouldn't have been a direction that was shifted with the passing of your my mom. My mother's death. 
because you would have been there, you would have been comfortable, you know, yes. you wouldn't have even considered leaving I would probably. I never have considered, my, actually my wife had asked me, you know, hey, would you go to Africa? No way. Yeah. All your tears and the pain you're suffering, I'm not putting my kids through this, no way. I mean, that was my attitude and it's not gonna happen. You know, God has a sense of humor. You know, I told, I told people, you know, I'll never be a pastor. I said, nope, I'll never be a missionary. Yeah. <laughs> never tell God, never. Right. And he had different plans with that. But yeah, the tracing, and it's interesting, you know, I actually began writing a book the last year I was in Africa. We were there six years. Wow. And I actually began, and, and I'm not out to really promote the book at all, but, you know, I started writing the book, and I, I got all the stories of all these experiences of what happened, you know, with a lot of the youth. I mean, they had youth, some, uh, one young lady, you know, wanted to give her life to the Lord in baptism, but her parents told her that you won't not um, we'll be showing up and we will be carrying you off the campus and where she was afraid the night before and i said look he who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me and jesus said that he will come between your parents that's right so she took a stand and she said i'm going to be baptized even if he shows up i'm going through this pastor kurt and um we ended up baptizing her and he didn't show up and she went home shortly after, and I was, of course, waiting, you know, what, what's going to happen? You lose your life sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. and this kind of thing. And she came back, and she said, you know, big smile on her face, Natalie. Um, she said, you know, Pastor Kurt, she said, I got home, and I talked to my parents, and my dad said, you know, I respect you for taking your stand like you did. Mm. You know, and they can say, I, I appreciate, you know, and I'm proud of you. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, the astounding power of God, how he worked. But back to the story that you were, you were tracing of how this all began. Mm-hmm. Um, what I wrote all the chapters. I think it's like 13 chapters. But I couldn't figure out how this all started. And so I had almost the whole book finished. And, and I'd sent in the material and the uh, publishing said, yeah, yes, we, we're, we'll, we'll connect with you and we want this to happen. And I was sitting one day and I was talking to God. And, Lord, where did this all begin? Yeah. And then it was the Holy Spirit, you know whispering in my mind saying it was your mother's death Mm. and it just hit me like a light like a lightning bolt and I thought wow and so the book was finished and I wrote the last chat the first chapter last and this is the chapter that I I entitled in fact I in memory of this book was written in memory of my mother Betty Jean DeWitt was killed in a car accident in 1993 I have sorely missed her all these years but can't wait to share these stories with her when hopefully we embrace once again in heaven. Mm. And the first chapter is the day I tried to kill Jesus mm. with that rock, with the cross. With that anger, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's why this all happened. Now, you know, does it bring a, a smile to my face and my heart to think like, oh good, yeah, my mom had to die in order for me to do that, you know, and that makes me sad. Yeah. You know, uh, I wish maybe it wasn't my own stubbornness. I don't know, but see, God has, a, he's a multi-purpose, multifaceted God. Mm. He, many things came out of this that um but see with her passing those other two women may have not come to christ those from two, the funeral my sisters i mean brother my father i mean so many people around the air the family it's like a domino effect it is god, god just, has many purposes it's not ever just based upon one for me i realize and I, I wrote it in the book at the end of that first chapter like you know i had my mother not died you know, I would not be a missionary in Africa trying to win these, teach these youth about Jesus. I would never have done that. Now, could he have used someone else? He could have. But he has reasons and purposes. Mm. And I understand. And now later in life, I understand even more 
much more where he has brought me to the point of, I praise the Lord that he allowed her to be killed that day. Mm. Now you won't probably hear very many people say that, and it's not because I have anything anybody else can't or doesn't. Um, but the bottom line is, I trust him because of my life experiences. I know that he doesn't make mistakes. Mm -hmm. I know he allowed it and it saved me. Some of the things I wrote at that last chapter, these are some of the elements. When you, when you consider any of them, I'll read a couple of them real quick. Oh, absolutely. Share with you. Yeah. When you read and think of any of these, for if you, if you have lost a loved one or having a hard time trusting God with it, let me remind you of some life-saving facts. Number one, your much-loved mother can't be tempted by Satan any longer. This is all I, all I used to remember to bring, a, all I need to remember to bring a smile to my face when I'm missing my mom. Satan's, Satan can't touch her anymore. Right. She's not suffering. She's not feeling anything. No pain. Um, she's just resting like sleep without the dreams, mm. waiting to hear the voice of Jesus. The next face that she's going to see is Jesus. The next voice she's going to hear is Jesus. You know, I'm saying, get up. You know, time to wake. Number two, remember this, and I use different characters. Your own dad is sleeping peacefully. It will seem but a moment until he sees Jesus coming to take him home, like I was just sharing. Number three, your close brother's eternal destiny is forever fixed, and it's held in God's hands. Mm. And number four, maybe God allowed your wife's death to save her from being eternally lost. You wouldn't have it any other way, would you? Number five, God most likely turned others' lives around because of the death of your priceless child or priceless mom in my case, which you, you, know, you mentioned again with the two ladies at the very least, but it saved her son. You know, you're probably, you know, you and Tim were probably like, you know, my wife and I, you know, I pray every day, Lord, whatever it takes, mm. save my children. And if it means my death, I lay it down a hundred times over. If Are your they, children followers if, of God right now? They are. They haven't forgotten. You know, they need prayer. They haven't really embraced like they, they probably, you know, where they need to be. Um, sometimes you just, you know, get in the habit and get busy through college and, and marriage, a couple of them. And I pray hard for them every day. Yeah. I hope and pray, you know, that, you know, what they've been taught when they were young. You know, they don't forget. You know, mm -hmm. the scriptures tell us that. One of the last things I think, you know, may, maybe the most important, I think of if it's a husband and wife scenario, maybe your husband died so that you would be saved. Mm. He wouldn't have it any other way, would he? You know, so those are some of the things that have brought me tremendous peace. By the way, here I am, Lord, send someone else. Yeah. <laughs> That's, you know, that was my story. Like, uh, no, no missionary, you know. Um, let's not meet with a poofy hair. There, no, I didn't way. think it was. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I praise the Lord for the experience because each of these experiences have prepared me for the next experience. Well, you know, it's interesting to see the tracing. You know, one of the things I've learned is that, you know, through the, through the trials, as I look back, each of the trials seem to get a little worse, <laughs> almost not all the way across the board, but you know, it became even something more painful that I was going to face in the future. Right. And I can see how God, you know, he's preparing us all, you know, for the end of time. Mm. You know, there is going to be a time of trouble. 
we can be saved out of it. We're all going to go through it if we're alive here, but if you're going through it with Jesus, then he is our refuge and strength. He's mm -hmm. always that very present help in trouble. And so I just praise the Lord that, you know, when I, uh, we were pastoring, I started, I got a call to pastor in uh, Michigan and uh, in Warren, second district in Michigan, down in, you know, near Detroit. And during this time, you know, it was a wonderful ministry there, larger church and wonderful church family. And, you know, everyone has their trials and, you know, you go through some of this and some of that. But in this, once we came back to the States, you know, my wife's heart was still in Africa. Mm. And, uh, you know, what seemed to be God opening a door up for her to continue a ministry, you know, taking missionary trips over there. Like two, started off two times a year, um, two weeks, two and a half weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. And it ended up becoming three times a year. <laughs> and uh, kind of growing from there. But she would take, you know, in fact, I went on some of her trips early on and we'd take other people, church members, anybody wanted to go, to go and minister and uh, do health uh, clinics. You know, we had doctors that would go with us and we had nurses and people pulling teeth, you yeah. name it, we had dentists. Oh, yeah. And so a great ministry. And I was part of that with her initially. Um, but unfortunately, you know, I got busy with the ministry here and I couldn't just pick up and go these, you know, three times a year like she did. And so she began going on her own and uh, continuing the ministry and opened up a Omalika home over there for girls that, you know, she was heavily trying to save the Maasai girls. You probably have heard about the circumcision yeah. that goes on that's so horrible. And a lot of them die because of infection and, and everything that goes along with that. And so she had a great passion. She'd gone through uh, rape at a, as a 10 or 12 year old, you know, little girl mm. and uh, just had a passion not only for Africa and Africans as her family. Um, but, you know, she went through her own turmoil and trial. And so, you know, I assumed that everything was of the Lord and, you know, this was good. And I was ministering here and, and uh, you know, doing my best to you know, prepare the Warren Church and win souls for the Lord. And these trips began to go longer and longer. And we were apart for, you know, sometimes up to five weeks, you know, over a month's mm. time. And, you know, many times of, of feeling that loneliness and still staying busy, but just, oh, just not liking this. Just, yeah. you know, and we would talk and, uh, you know, chat about, you know, these kinds of things. It's, it's difficult because I, I love to, I want to share so much more with this journey. Um, and you'll see why, you know, and explain, you know, where this ended up at. But, um, while she was on a trip one time, this was in 2014, I noticed that our marriage was kind of starting to drift emotionally, you know, after those return times home. And, uh, you know, well, the Holy Spirit was, you know, talking pretty loud and uh, there was a danger that was in the midst, you know, of these trips year after year after year. And in 2014, you know, our marriage was, it was, it was strained, you mm -hmm. know, it was, there was you know, a lot of pain. The kids are starting to get older. They're older. Most of them are, uh, I think all of them were after the first year. Yeah. Ashley was in eighth grade and then in academy, you know, until boarding academy, we didn't have any academy nearby. So they went boarding school. So it was largely, you know, Kim and I at home, but we, you know, both knew that there was a drifting apart going on. 
and uh, a lot of anxiousness on my part, a lot of trying to send emails or occasionally try to text through on these cell phones and sometimes not hearing back and it it put a lot of strain and stress on in my heart mm. you know just like feeling that feeling of something is slipping here and i'm not sure what to do about it and how to how to bring it back and so while that was going on in 2014 i my daughter had come over and visited she was living in Berrien springs that older daughter stephanie and she came and stayed with me the weekend and she never did that this was very yeah. unusual and i remember um, that day I had, I always rode, rode my bike, I'd ride real hard, six, seven miles real fast around <laughs> streets of Warren, you know, literally on the sidewalk and just trying to get, you know, stay healthy. And so I was into the healthful living, vegan eating, you name it, you know, really trying to be healthy and following those eight, eight laws of health. And I guess I, what they tell me later is I came in and I kicked off my shoes. My daughter was in the downstairs bedroom. So I kicked off my shoes and I dropped like a rock. You know, it was sudden cardiac collapse. So your your wife's gone. She's gone to Africa. You come back from a bike bicycle trip or whatever, right. you know, for the day. Your daughter's there for the weekend, and you just come in and you just drop. Everything just shut down. There was no no precursor, no heart pains or chest pains or anything. Literally, immediate collapse. Oh my goodness. So, and they call it cardiac collapse. I think is what they yeah. call it. And so I dropped and she heard the, the thunk or a couple of thunks, whatever it was, mm -hmm. and she heard from downstairs and she came upstairs and here her dad is laying on his stomach with these bike shorts on and, you know, total drenched in sweat. And my head was actually up on the first step. So picture this body laying out on the hard floor in front of the doorway. My head was up on the first step, slightly turned sideways and my eyes are wide open oh my and goodness. I'm gone. But, the, you know, it's the gases that escape, I guess, you know, when your heart stops. It's in process of gases coming out. And it sounds like somebody is still breathing. And so she said I was bleeding. I had hit my nose somewhere in the fall. And I also had hit the back of my head and had a huge, really big welt on the back of my head. It was, you know, it actually caused the loss of hair in that spot. It hit so hard. And so I'm laying there and... You know, she, of course, you know, the panic mode, not panic, but I got to call 911. And so she grabbed a phone and got 911 on the line and said, uh, my dad looks like he fell and he's still breathing. You know, they were asking, is he breathing? Is he, he's still breathing, she told him. And she didn't realize that I wasn't. Right. And, you know, he's bleeding. It looks like he hit his, hit his nose or, you know, his head or whatever. And so they said, okay, we'll send someone over. And they literally hung up with her. They didn't stay on the phone with her. I don't know if this was protocol, mm -hmm. um, when they're not sure about what exactly is going on with this man who's laying sprawled out, you know, on the floor with right. blood coming out of him. And so she went and took the hung up and she went and took the cat back down, put it in the bedroom, came back up the stairs and she looked at me and she heard the last, there's a last sound that comes out that's the final, there's no more gases escaping. And she saw that it was turning purple immediately and then turned blue. And she realized that things were more serious. And so they had actually put the call out to not be a non-emergency call. Oh, no. They did not turn the lights on, I heard later. They just took their time getting in their ambulance. And it was only two miles away. And they took their good old time getting out. And so said, my dad stopped breathing. You know, he's turning blue. And so they 
contacted them and they turned the lights on wherever they were in the journey. So this, mm-hmm. they figure that I was dead between 10 and 12 minutes. Mm. That was the, it's somewhere between 10 and 12 minutes that I was brain shut down that I was dead. Now, this is not just a near death experience. That was a sudden cardiac collapse, my heart stopped. So this was it. And so they got told her that we gotta get him turned over, we're gonna start pumping on his chest. You know, you're gonna do count to 200. You know, just, yeah. you, know you gotta just get that, you know, pump that oxygen in to save the brain. And so she uh, was able to get me turned over. She's just a thin, you know, you know, little. I'm sure foot. she's small too, yeah. She's, yeah, she's small, um, but she got me turned over and started pushing. And they finally arrived, she let them in and they, they had to shock me twice in order to get my heart started back up again, but they weren't holding out much hope. Mm-hmm. Because after, after five minutes, five minutes or longer, I mean, you know, your brain, your brain is gonna be brain dead and, and there's not much hope that you're gonna come out. There's not very many people that come out of that long, you know, being without oxygen. And so I was in a coma five days. Of course, my wife is in Africa and I'm oblivious to everything. You know, people ask me and, you know, they ask me, <laughs> I tell them, I start telling my story, you know, yeah, I was actually dead between 10 to 12 minutes. What'd you say? You know, because of all the stories and the 